recap, if you remember, the author, let me ask you guys, who's the author of the book of Acts? Luke, and you remember he wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so the Gospel of Luke is about the life of Christ, right? The Gospel of Luke is about the life of Christ, his birth, his ministry, his death, resurrection. And then it kind of ends with the disciples, the apostles, waiting. And he says, I want you guys to wait in Jerusalem for my spirit to come. And then I want you to go be my witnesses all over the earth. And Acts is more or less the sequel to that. And so as we're studying Acts, we're talking about making Christ known. Because right there in the beginning, what he says, what Luke says, is he says, uh, he says that Christ was there, Christ had been resurrected, and Christ, before he ascended up into heaven, he said, I want you guys to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, in the utmost parts of the earth, but wait for my Holy Spirit. And we've seen the Holy Spirit come in the book of Acts and work in amazing ways, right? First he came with the, as a rushing wind and the sound that drew the people there, and the people spoke uh, in, in various tongues. The, the church, many believed, he, he filled Peter with preaching abilities. You remember Peter who was kind of... Uh, I don't want to call him a coward, but he got kind of chicken there in the, in, uh, when, during Christ's life and Christ's ministry. But then he preaches the Word of God with boldness. And we talked about last week how he, the Holy Spirit empowered Peter to heal a man, Peter and John, to heal a man. Then they were arrested. If you remember, they were arrested. And they were put on trial, and they still spoke boldly the things of God. And then it says that they went after that, and did they go and say, Ooh, yeah, victory party, let's go, let's go party down for what God did for us. I think they did some celebrating and some praising, but they immediately started praying for more boldness that they would speak. And it says that the Holy Spirit, uh, I don't know how I would say this, it says that the Holy Spirit, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the whole building or the whole place shook, and they were filled with boldness. So... If you look at the book of Luke, you see a real emphasis on the life of Christ. If you look at the book of Acts, you see a real emphasis on the Holy Spirit. So it's important for us to make that distinction. And so as, as Luke uh, talks about in, in the book of Luke, it's about Christ's life and making Christ known is going to take the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? In the book of Acts, he doesn't send them out there and say, I want you guys to go out there, figure it out, work real hard, be dedicated, commit yourselves, uh, learn you know, from your mistakes, and, and figure it out. And even, in fact, when Christ was on earth, he said, it's better that I go away so that the Holy Spirit can come, and so that you'll have the Holy Spirit. And as we read Acts, you can begin to see why it was so important for the Holy Spirit to work through these people to spread the message of Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to make Christ known, it's vital that we are connected, filled, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a great ministry to us. And so that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. And it's going to take kind of a interesting 
we're locking up here, guys. It's going to take kind of an interesting uh, turn for us as we begin to read. There we go. We're going to talk about three signs <clears throat> that the Holy Spirit is working in my life. You could actually say three signs that the Holy Spirit is working in the church. And so hopefully this will make a lot of sense as we go on. But we see the Holy Spirit working in the church in the book of Acts, don't we? And, and we may not understand the Holy Spirit, who He is, but you cannot deny the Holy Spirit is at work in this early church. You just can't deny that. And so the church is made up of what? Buildings? People. And so as the, church, as the Holy Spirit ministers within the church, it means He's going to be working on individuals and working through individuals. And it says that each of those, each one of the people had flames of fire upon them. A, a picture of the fact that we as believers actually can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Is that good news? I mean, even during Christ's ministry, I don't think they weren't being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so you can see why Christ said this is even better. So we're going to talk about three signs the Holy Spirit is working in my life. It says my life up there. That doesn't mean my life. You take it and kind of say it so it means your life, right? But then if I say your life, you're thinking, well, what about you? So in our life individually. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through, and, and first of all, I just kind of want to go through and make some observations in the passage, and then we'll come back to that topic again. But there's a lot in this passage, and we're going to try and move kind of quickly and just going to take a, a survey of these verses. <clears throat> so the first chunk we want to look at uh, is Acts 4, 32 through 35. And before we dive in and, and start looking at the details of this, I want to pray one more time. And let me just say, we don't pray as just nice, cute transition points. We're praying, we're coming as a group of people before the throne of grace here. And, and we're praying because really... As Garrett said, like, I don't want you guys to hear what I have to say and for this to be some of, uh, something I've concocted and put together for you guys. And I don't want to try and even, uh, I don't want to try and work in you. I want the Holy Spirit. And so we pray as a sign of dependence and reliance on Him. And so a lot of times we can say, let's pray. And it's like, okay, what are, I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder how many burgers I can get at the social. But, but really, it's us collectively coming before the throne of grace. And if you picture a whole family coming up to the throne of grace or a, a king's throne at the same time and making requests, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? So that's what we're going to do real, real quick right now, if you would join with me. Father, we do come before you and we acknowledge that we don't deserve to come into your presence. But because of your son's work, we can come with confidence to you. And we can come to your throne of grace, your majesty but also your graciousness, your kindness, and your mercy, Father. We thank you that you are willing to listen to us, that you want to hear our request. Our request this morning is that you would use these scriptures to work in our life, and that the way that you work in our life would have ripple effects out from us into the world, into our families, into our neighborhoods, so that your Son would be known through our lives. Father, we want to surrender ourselves to the work of your Holy Spirit this morning. And we do humbly and in dependence come to you in prayer for that. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and read here these verses. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed, this is going to sound familiar, but this is not the same passage we read a few weeks ago. 
Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each one as he had need. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And so we can see here, this is not under compulsion. We talked about that last time. This isn't communism because you don't have a government entity. You don't have anybody coming in and saying, you guys need to do this at gunpoint uh, or even just through government ta uh, tactics. You need to give up all your stuff so we can kind of all live this equal life. That's not so what, what's happening here. And it's also not coercion or manipulation by the apostles. He's not, the apostles aren't trying to say, you know, we really need your money to make this whole thing work, and we're just begging you. The Holy Spirit, this is something that was going on by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he gave them a unity, and he gave them a oneness of heart. They were made one. When we have the Holy Spirit in us and we become believers, we are brought into the family of God. We are brought into the household of God, as it's called in Timothy. We're brought into the church, and we become one. We become brothers and sisters. That happens through the Spirit. But also, we can also have the same soul, the same mind, the same, uh, the same purposes. And this group was not only made one, but they were operating as one. And the Holy Spirit did that. The Holy Spirit gave them a care and a concern a mutual care and concern for themselves, so much so that they were willing to sell houses and land. Now, you may think, oh, yeah, well, that was way back then. And houses and land, I mean, what was it? A little shanty on... It was houses and land. I mean, imagine selling your house and your land. Those are some of our greatest assets, aren't they? If you have a house that you kind of would think of that as one of your bigger assets in life. If you have land, that would be a bigger asset in your life. If you don't, you've probably thought about it. So the idea here is that they were willing to give and to sacrifice for one another. But this was not apostle manipulation. This wasn't government coercion. This wasn't some kind of system a church system that they set up, uh, you know, like church government or church leadership. This was the Holy Spirit working. And so what the Holy Spirit was doing is the Holy Spirit was working through this group of people to move in individuals' hearts. And this is all going to come back together for us. So if you're kind of thinking, okay, wonderful, great for them. Yeah, I'm not selling my house, so move on, Rich. That's not what I'm saying. The point here is they were sensitive and open and filled, and led, and moved by the Holy Spirit. And the effect of that was, they were a testimony to everybody out there. They're going, this is, this is very unique, very supernatural, that you would have this group of people, that they would operate this way, that they would care about one another this way, that they would be willing to let go. That's supernatural. That's not natural thinking. Right? None of us naturally think that. I want to sell my house and some of the properties I have and give it 
away. We might think I'll sell my old beater vehicle that's just taking up space in the driveway and leaking oil all over the slab. I want to get rid of that and I'll give some of the money to missions. But to sell your house, your property, that's something supernatural. And so the Holy Spirit was working through them. It says God's grace was upon them all in a mighty way. That's what it says right there. And, uh, and so the idea, it says, and great grace was upon them all. And I believe what that grace is talking about is that they had favor with all those around them. And that's what the passage said also in uh, Acts 2 when we were talking about that. They were given favor because of what the Holy Spirit was doing through them. Now, is it any less true of a church or an individual today? The Holy Spirit wants to do supernatural things through us. And we'll talk a little bit more about some of those details of what that looks like, but the Holy Spirit wants to do something supernatural. And this is not a message you could think, oh boy, this is where he passes the plate. We're going to start passing the plate this Sunday. That's not the point. I don't think the point here is about money. I think the point here is about the Holy Spirit. And the point here is about when the Holy Spirit works in a person or in a group of people, people notice. People take note. You know this whole book, the, the book of Acts is talking about how the church started, was born, and grew up, and, and, and that Christ was being proclaimed all over the earth. It's a story of the church. It's the Acts of the Apostles, but it's the story of the church. And so all through it, we see the Holy Spirit working, and this is part of how the Spirit worked to grow the church, was through the Holy Spirit. It's no different today. Do we want to be a group of people that the Holy Spirit is working through? Do we want people to walk in here and say there's something different, <coughs> there's something supernatural going on there, and it's not because they're acting like a bunch of nuts and doing cartwheels in the aisle, it's because there's a supernatural love there. There's, there's people... Uh, having victory over sin in there. There's people who are using their spiritual gifts in there. There are people that are making an, a knucklehead like me feel loved even after I'm failing them in there. Those are all works of the Spirit. They're fruits. They're products of the Spirit working in a group or in an individual. So that's what was going on in the early church. That's why the early church was unstoppable because the Holy Spirit was working in a powerful way. It wasn't Peter's charming, charming personality. It was the Holy Spirit working in this group of people. And here we're going to see, it, again, I, I think I'd mentioned this before, what happens is, is Luke in the book of Acts, he kind of takes a big step back and kind of pans out and said, here's what was going on. And then he zooms in, kind of like whatever that would be, maybe a telephoto type lens, right, Arlene? No, thing. And, and zooms in for kind of like, here's some specific concrete details of what that looked like. So the zoom out is, hey, everybody was being generous and meeting one another's needs. And, and let me just say this too. The apostles, it says, were filled with boldness, speaking the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were preaching with boldness. They prayed for boldness. And they were given boldness to preach the message. <coughs> so here's a clue. Do you have a water bottle? Here's a clue that the... Uh, <clears throat> the works of these people were spirit-filled. And not only that, but the words of the apostles were spirit-filled. And we're going to see a, a specific example of this fellow here. 
Joseph, or in your, your Bible it may say Joseph, who was also named or nicknamed Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, if you just look at what's happening here, you have this man, Barnabas, and we're going to see more, we're going to hear more about Barnabas in the book of Acts. This is kind of his uh, first appearance on the scene. And he was a Levite. That means he was a priest. He was from a priestly line. And actually, they weren't even supposed to own land in Israel. And so he's like, well, how did this guy get a hold of his land? A lot of people believe he lived in Cyprus, a little island in that he uh, was a possessor of land there, and so it wasn't really in Israel. He possessed this land. Some other people say, well, they weren't really following that at this time, but this guy had this land. It was probably his nest egg. And he came and sold it and just laid the money down at the apostles' feet and said, do, like, you guys use your wisdom and the Holy Spirit's guidance and do what you should with this, this money. And I want to make another note here. It says he was known, his nickname, I guess you would call it, as a son of encouragement. How do we encourage people? By what we say to them, right? By speaking the truth of God's word into people's life. So you have this man here who, I believe, through the Holy Spirit, and it talks about that in other places, Acts, that he's a spirit-filled man, that he is speaking into people's lives truth and goodness, so much so that he has the nickname the encourager. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And so we see, how is the Holy Spirit working? Boy, the Holy Spirit's moving in this group. He's giving them oneness. The Holy Spirit is moving on these people to sell and get rid of their possessions for the better good of everybody. The Holy Spirit is working and giving power to the words of the apostles. The Holy Spirit is working and giving power to the words of individuals. Dynamic. The Holy Spirit working through individuals, working through the church. Right? Dun, dun, dun. But a certain man named Ananias, excuse me, with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part of, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose, wrapped him up, and carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. I know I said this a few weeks ago when we talked a little bit about this passage, but man, I just wish my natural tendency, like even if, if Evie, if I'm kind of thinking like she might want to stretch the truth here, I'm like, 
I really want you to, before she even says anything, I really want you to think what you're going to say to me. I really am telling you, this is a vital moment right here. You have a choice. You can tell me the truth, even if it was you did something wrong, or you can tell me a lie. Which are you going to do? Like, she doesn't get that. So, did you sell the land for this much? Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to it, how, said to her, how is it that you agreed together to test the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet, breathed her last. The young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear, again we read this, great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. Now, we like the idea of the Holy Spirit working in a church, but this gets a little scary, doesn't it? We're like, yeah, words and works, spirit working. But we're like, honestly, we've probably all done this, what they did. What were they doing? What was their sin? Hypocrisy. They were pretending to be something they weren't, pretending to be more spiritual than they were. Pretending to have a righteousness that wasn't really there. We should probably all be zapped, right? So we look at this and we go, so what's going on here? Why isn't God working like that? How come we all haven't uh, flopped over dead? And, it, and, and the truth of the matter is that God has, through his Holy Spirit, as the church was established, I believe he looked at that church like a, a little newborn baby. And he had to be very protective of it. And he wanted to make some points loud and clear. And here we see on display God's righteousness, God's holiness, God's justice. And that doesn't mean that it's any less now than it was then. God is concerned about the purity of his church. And I could say that we probably are all hypocrites in here in one way, shape, or form. We all try to come off a little more holy than we actually live. And so we can all identify with the reality of what's going on here. Now I do want to make another note here. In, in some of these uh, passages, in some of these verses rather, in chapter 5 at the beginning, he talks about whether you sold the land. She said, yes. How is it that you agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? And they talked about lying uh, to the Holy Spirit. And, and they talk about God in there, So we, we see the Holy Spirit as one of the persons of the Trinity. And why have you tested the Spirit of the Lord? And if you think about the reality of that, we've all tested the Spirit of the Lord, right? How many people? How many of us with the sin line, we get right up to it? Right? <laughs> Nothing's going to happen, right? I can play the odds here. I can kind of play with this sin a little bit. It's not a big one. Well, hopefully I won't get caught... Right? We get right up to that line. Man, we're guilty of this. And I believe that God wanted to make a really loud point. I'm not okay with impurity in my church. I'm not okay with hypocrisy and deceit. You know what hypocrisy does to a church? It ruins a church. Self-righteousness ruins a church. And I can honestly say I think probably all of us carry some of that in here because we don't want our reputation to be tarnished. But what happens is the more that we're honest with one another, the more that we begin to kind of lower 
that self-protected sense. And so if one person says, hey, I struggle with this, and you ever been somewhere, and the person, you know the person doesn't want to let the cat out of the bag. You know what I did last week? You know what I struggle with? And they do? Automatically, there's a love for them, an embrace of them, and then also maybe a little bit more freedom for others to talk about where they're struggling or what a big uh, mess they've made of this situation or this circumstance or this issue in their life. God does not want us to be hypocrites. God does not want us to deceive. And I believe they lied to the Holy Spirit here by lying to the other church members and by lying to the apostles. He says, you haven't lied to just men. You lied to the Holy Spirit. Talk about grieving and offending the Holy Spirit when we're hypocrites, when we're living self-righteously. That ends up being grieving. And so what happens? Judgment. And you think, man, that just doesn't seem fair. Again, I think the point here is God was giving a warning, right? It says fear. Was that fear that came upon them? Was that a fear that God wanted them to have? I believe it was. I don't think he would have killed them and let them drop dead right on the spot unless he wanted there to be some good, healthy fear of sin. I want to say just a couple quick things here, and that's if you look at how God views his church, and he says often, sometimes in places in Scripture, he says, you need to confront people right up front, out in the open, publicly, so that others will be afraid to sin because they don't want that to happen. In essence is what he says. That doesn't sound like comfortable church stuff. <laughs> okay, we're going to march everybody up here individually. And you're like, well, that's why I'm being a hypocrite because I don't want that to happen to me because I'm acting like I got it all together, man. And I don't think that's the, the, the main thing that he wants us to do. He wants us to love. He wants us to show grace. He wants us to show mercy. He wants us to help. He wants us to train. He wants us to guide others. But he does take sin serious in his church. Paul says, you know what I think of the church like? I think of the church as having a daughter. A daughter that I want to marry off someday as a pure virgin. And so when I hand her the church off to Christ, I want her to be chaste and pure. And so that's how Paul thinks of it. God is concerned about the purity of the church. We should be concerned about the purity of the church. But you know what happens when we as individuals or the church at large isn't living pure? The Holy Spirit, does the Holy Spirit leave us? No. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit working through these people, through their works and their words, but the Holy Spirit starts working on us instead of through us. He convicts us through warning. So, as we look at this passage, what are three signs that the Holy Spirit's working in my life? And we could see how he was working in the church. He was working through them or he was working on them. He was, first of all, spirit-filled works are a sign the Holy Spirit's working in my life. He was doing amazing works through those individuals, wasn't he? Making them generous, giving them boldness. Spirit-filled works, working miracles. You think, okay, so what does that mean? Am I going to start speaking in tongues? Uh, am I, do I have to sell my property? How about this? A genuine love for somebody 
that sticks through thick and thin with them, that's supernatural. What about having victory over sin? That's supernatural. What about humbly giving of yourself and using your spiritual gift and sacrificing your time, your energy, your resources to bless somebody else? That's supernatural. And I say supernatural because it's not natural. It's not automatic. It's not human. And so if it's not natural and human, then and it's godly, then it comes from the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, those things don't come naturally to us in this broken down, messed up world and in our broken down, messed up lives. When we come from broken down, messed up families, all those beautiful fruits don't come natural. But the works of the Holy Spirit coming through us are supernatural. They will, he will produce those fruits through us. So how do you know the Holy Spirit's working? Maybe you're having victory over sin. Maybe you're loving in a way that doesn't come natural. Maybe you're using your gift to bless other people and to minister to other people. Another way, way number two that you know the Holy Spirit's working is spirit-filled words are a sign the Holy Spirit's working in my life. Remember Barnabas, the encourager. Remember uh, the apostles? It says they were speaking the resurrection. Are you telling people about Christ? Are you ashamed to speak the, the, the message of Christ? Are you, are you learning to be bold or praying for boldness? And really, if you think about that, even something as simple as speaking the truth and love here, as we're told to do in Ephesians 4, we usually err towards one side or the other. We're the lovey people or the truthy people, right? We want to give people a smackdown, and I, I just really need to go truth them. They, they need some truth right now. Well, they do need the truth, but they need it in love. <clears throat> and somebody else is like, I'm just not a confrontational person. Somebody else needs to. But the Spirit delivers the truth in love. So how do you know? The Spirit's at live and work and, and, and in you. One of the signs or one of the demonstrations or one of the manifestations is your works are filled, your words are filled. They're producing godly things. And so those are two signs that God is working through you, right? This is one we don't like so much, but it still can be an encouragement. Last is we know that spirit-filled warnings are a sign that the Holy Spirit is working in my life. <laughs> Isn't that what he gave Ananias and Sapphira? Everybody was filled with fear. There was a spirit-filled warning. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to drop dead. It could. I don't know how, you know, exactly how God decides those things in periods of time and the way he works in different times. I don't get all that. But the fact of the matter is, I believe even unbelievers, people who have decided or confused or still trying to figure it out, the Holy Spirit works on them to convict them of their sin. John, I think it's 14 or 17, talks about the ministry. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction. Now, you may be going, yeah, those first two, man, I don't really feel like the Spirit's producing many good works in me. And I'm like chicken little, man. I don't hardly say anything that I should be about Christ. 
I hope that you can take hope in the fact that maybe the Holy Spirit's been working on you then and convicting you of a sin or convicting you of a way of life or convicting you of an attitude. And even if you're failing and you're continuing to fail, that's love that the Holy Spirit is doing that. It says that even through discipline, so some of these warnings God can give us, He can give, maybe this morning is a warning to you. God's Word. Maybe God's people are giving warnings to you. Like, man, you got to quit that. We, Ned and I, I, I can think of specific conversations we've had with people and say, it's like a burning plane going down. If you don't change this, your life is going to be gone and seen people's lives taken not long after, a couple years after those conversations. I believe that's a spirit working through believers to give a warning, right? Maybe it's through another believer's discipline. You see the way that they're living and then all of a sudden their marriage explodes or uh, whatever would happen, they sink into a depression because of the way that they're uh, an issue of disobedience. God's discipline can also be a warning on our own life. When we begin to see things are falling apart, the wheels are coming off the cart here, man. Why is everything such a wreck? Well, sit down. Let me tell you a few things that you're, you're living contrary to God's word. And yeah, 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 but I know, but help me fix the mess. That's what we're trying to do here. It's time to surrender back to Christ. And so when the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is either working through me or He's working on me. And that it can be good news. We shouldn't think of conviction as a horrible thing. It's scary. This was scary. It's scary to study this. It's scary to read it. It's a little bit confusing. But you know what? God wanted to warn the church. He allowed the church to be filled with fear and the outsiders to be filled with fear so that they knew who God was. We really only warn people we care about, right? So as a kid, uh, you know, I'm going to, if I, if if I see Evie headed for trouble, I'm going to warn her, I'm going to rewarn her, I'm going to yell, I'm going to scream, I might even, you know, if it's in a parking lot, I might scream at the top of my lungs like a little girl, get away from that, <laughs> whatever it might be. I remember as a kid, we are putting these ramps up. I just now remembered this, but we are putting these ramps up for kids. And I kind of scooted the ramp like we were putting them on these cinder blocks and like doing jumps off this, these boards off cinder blocks. And I kind of put it down towards this like little dinky, like to where I knew the kid was going to crash the way I was setting the thing up. When it was his turn, I went to go reset up the ramp. And you know why? I didn't really care about that kid. Obviously. And uh, then I acted like I cared when he felt like, oh, Mike, are you okay? You know, but the, the reality, uh, uh, the, the reality is that we warn people that we care about. It's not, a, it's not something we're doing to be cruel to them or to embarrass them or to be a superior than them. We warn people. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. So I would say this, if you get convicted, if you deal with conviction, if you feel guilty for your sin, and I would say con con convicted is a better word than guilty. Our sin's been paid for. But if you've been convicted, sorrowed by your sin, recognize that as a work of the Holy Spirit. And that should be happening in the church, and that should be happening to us as individuals. 
So you want to know if the Holy Spirit's working in your life? Is He working through you, through your words, through your works? Is He working on you by convicting you and kind of giving you some glimpses of maybe discipline that's going to have to come? I, I do, for Evie, I'm like, please, don't make me spank you, please. Uh, I'll give her a warning. Take away candy. No TV. You can't do this. I'm like, girl, I'm, I'm trying to avoid the big one. That's the one she hates the most. Trying to avoid the spanking. Please get it. Because I care about her. I don't want to see her suffer. That's what God does for us. So even in this scary, scary story that's been uh, recorded in Scripture, account that's been recorded in Scripture, we can see that God is at work in our individual lives, even through conviction. Praise God. That's good news. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Let's pray. And I'm going to have Ned come up and lead us in communion. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Pray that we would be a church that are surrendered to him, even in conviction that we would learn, that we would grow, and that we would move on to a place of obedience in those areas where we're disobedient. Please work through us, through our words, through our works, so that we would be a light for your son and that we would make Jesus known. We pray these things in his name. Amen.